Well, you know, for my childhood, uh, Derek Jeter was definitely an icon of it, and I got to know him for years. And here on the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett, I don't know if you heard me the other night, but I was so excited when uh, Derek Jeter got in. I didn't even care that he get, didn't get unanimous. I just was so happy he was in for the second year in a row. A Yankee icon is going to Cooperstown. And someone who I know personally around the stadium, Rick Cerrone, the former PR man for the Yankees, joins me. Rick, I don't know if you remember me, but I was there with Mr. Steinbrenner for years, and you were very nice to me and my dad every time we saw you. Alex, I remember you. I remember your dad. Let's just say you were unforgettable. So, and you knew Jeter more than my dad did. So give us a few stories here that, that people may not know. Well, well. first of all, I'm so happy that you dove right into Derek Jeter, the man, the player. Uh, I've done some other interviews, and we never even got to Jeter because everybody wants to focus on the one voter or the one vote he didn't get, which I really don't think is relevant. Uh, he went in with 99% of the vote, which is a phenomenal accomplishment, well-deserved. I mean, Alex, uh, you know, I I first met Jeter – uh, Derek, probably the first day of spring training, you know, when he arrived over at Legends Field uh, for spring training in 96, which was my first year. <laughs> Excuse me. It was his rookie season. And the thing that struck me right away about him was that he, he didn't seem like a rookie. Uh, he, he carried himself like a, like a veteran. And I, I defy anyone to show me in all his years with the Yankees where he made a mistake on the field. Now he'll made an error, you know, but uh, he didn't make mental mistakes. He was a tremendous leader. Uh, you know, I mean, he, when I say a tremendous leader, he wasn't that rah, rah, let's go get him kind of player, but you know, he, he almost willed his team to win. He, he was a winner as you well know. Sure. And um, I think Joe Torrey said it best, you know, defense, even defensively, you know, two outs in the ninth, you want the ball hit to Jeter. Well, you know, Rick, you were the PR uh, manager for the Yankees during that height of, of Jeter's era. So i got to ask you, how many requests would you get for him alone uh, during the course of a day? Oh, well, I don't know if I could give you a number, but it's very interesting, Alex, that, you know, he certainly topped the list. But, you know, we, we, had a, we were a traveling all-star team. I mean, so there were so many people that got requests for different things. And one of my jobs was to screen them and knowing things that he might not be comfortable doing, knowing things that, you know, we as the Yankees would, would not want him to do. Uh, you know, we tried to accommodate everybody. Not everyone was Sports Illustrated or the Today Show or 60 Minutes or whoever you'd want to put in the upper echelon. And you tried to take care of the little guy too. And he did that. I don't remember Derek ever saying no. No, I'm like, you know, no, I don't want to do that. I, I don't remember that. Um, and he, here's the thing that stands out, aside from the typical traditional media request that, that um, you know, players would get. I mean, you know, you know this. In the dugout, you know, we're kids all the time, whether they're make-a-wish kids, kids of sponsors. And he was so good with all of them. With, with whatever it had to do, and he never said no to anything like that, meeting a, a, a troubled kid or a kid from a troubled family or, you know, someone that was having an issue or, you know, we got these requests a tremendous amount of time, especially after 
And, you know, he stepped up. There was one situation in particular that I was involved in with a little nine-year-old girl. And, you know, everybody did their thing. Everybody did what was expected of them. But the great thing about Derek, Alex, was that he always did more than was expected. That, and, that's what made him special. And that is when so he, true. He went beyond them and above, didn't he? Yeah, and you you know that yourself. But, um, like, um, you know, I, I'll tell you a story real quick about a young lady who was eight years old in 2002, uh, nine years old. And, you know, the, the family wanted to bring her to spring training because her father was tragically killed on 9-11. And, um, you know, of course we said yes. And she wanted to meet Derek Jeter. And, you know, I told Derek, and of course he says, yeah, no problem. He knew what it was. You didn't have to remind him. So we brought her down when she arrived at Legends Field, and she's sitting in the first row of an empty ballpark next to the dugout. And I think I'm going to be the good PR guy and kind of walk over to Derek, who's on the field, on his back, stretching with, you know, the, with those rubber bands and sure, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I kind of walk so she can't see, and I say, you know, the, you know, not not moving my lips, Derek, the little girl that you're going to meet is sitting over there, you know, with the blue Yankee jacket on and the Yankee hat. So whenever you're done, you know, that's who she is. So he can kind of acknowledge her without having to be in. Well, I, I don't even get two feet away from him. And he yells out from behind me, hey, Kate, get over here. You're late. We're stretching. Come on, let's go. She runs out on the field. They lift her over the stand. She runs out. She goes, hey, you know, get down here. And he gives her a rubber band. And now, hey, this is Mariano, and this is Roger, this is Jorge. And, and it, it, was, it was an unbelievable experience. And then he sits with her, and he talks to her. And he says to her, do you go to Yankee games? Oh, yeah, I go all the time. And start kind of tearing up because she went with her dad. And he goes, well, listen, I don't want you to ever come to a Yankee game and not let me know you're there. So you you tell Mr. Cerrone here when you're coming, and he'll let me know, and I'll know you're there, and I'll try to see you if I can. And, you know, that's what happened. And um, other people did what was expected. He always did more than was expected. Did he, that had to be making your job easy in a way as a PR manager for the bit, the best franchise oh, in the well, world. Well, yeah, because other people, you know, there were others that were a little higher maintenance, so you, you could even out a little bit. But I'll tell you a funny thing, Alex. People ask me all the time when they know I, you worked with the Yankees at that time, you know, tell me about Derek Jeter. And I would kid and I'd say, well, he really had no use for me. And they'd say, whoa, 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 you, you didn't get along with him? I said, no, we got along great. We were friends. But – he didn't need the services of what I did. You know, he never really needed my counsel. He never needed me to remind him. I mean, that was kind of a funny thing because, you know, a guy is doing the Sunday conversation, you know, in the visitors, the, the football locker room at Met, Met, the Met, Metrodome in Minnesota at 3 o'clock. Well, you know, you put a reminder there. You call the guy at the hotel, leave him a message. You didn't need to do that with Derek, and he didn't want you to do that. I and mean, he was he was so responsible. Um, I mean, he was. I mean, Alex, think about it. I'm the PR director of the Yankees, and one of my players is Derek Jeter. It, it, does it get better than that? Well, do you, do you miss it now? Do you wish you were back here now that he's back in the hall, or what? What's life been like for you after the, after the Yankees? Well, no. Um, you know, yeah, you miss certain things about it. 
but you know, I'm the editor in chief of Baseball Digest. How how great is that? That's amazing. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, so uh, you know, I went from one dream job. Uh, you know, when I was a kid and I was in high school, I told my my high school guidance counselor when he asked me, what do you see yourself doing when you're a grown-up? Because I was literally flunking out of school. And I said, well, that's easy. I'm the public relations director of the New York Yankees. I mean, that was my dream since I was like 14. But if he, if he had said to me, okay, well, let's just say, what's your fallback plan? Well, what's your, the second thing you'd want to be? I might have said to him, I'm the editor of Baseball Digest. So I've achieved both of those things, and it's it's quite both of them were, were tremendous. There's only been four editors in chief of Baseball Digest in its 79 year history. So so it's something you uh, you take very seriously. And um, well, I was going to say, are you, uh, are you now going to write an article in Baseball Digest? Can people look forward to that from you? Because well, you had an experience. Well, yeah, I have a I have a column in every issue, uh, which is called First Pitch. And I just completely redid my first pitch for the preview issue, which comes out March 5th, so that I can address the uh, the cheating scandal. And uh, I'll push the one that I wrote for this one, which I think is really good, to the May-June issue. So uh, well, really, we're really uh, looking forward to that. So the Daily News had it right. They said, you know, this is the time where Derek can really bring positivity back yeah. into the sport. And I think this election couldn't have come at a better time. Wouldn't you agree with everything happening last week? Totally different mindset on baseball now with Jeter in the hall. The voting couldn't have happened at a better time, or the, the announcement couldn't have. Well, the timing of the voting was great, just as the timing of the, the, timing of the announcement uh, of the, the penalties for the cheating scandal was perfect for Bill O'Brien, the coach of the Houston Texans. But baseball really needs this, and they're going to need more. They're going to need a lot of Derek Jeters. They're going to need players to become Derek Jeters and step up because, you know, this is an ugly stain on the game, which I think it will overcome. But it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take further deterrence, you know, from Major League Baseball. Well, and uh, this this also, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking about Mr. Steinbrenner. It's the 10 years since he passed. Right. And I mean, to honor him in this way, because he loved Derek, and he loved mm-hmm. the Yankees. But more yep. importantly, he had like a father-son relationship with Derek. He's got to right. be smiling from up above right now. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you a quick funny story about uh, Derek Jeter and George Steinbrenner, because there was a time in the early 2000s, I want to say 2003, where Mr. Steinbrenner gave an interview on the 30th anniversary of him owning the ball club, and he was he said some things about Derek that I know rubbed Derek the wrong way, talked about him being out till 5 in the morning or something like that, which... You know, I I think he wish he didn't say those things. Um, but we then got a call shortly after that. The, the call came to me. I don't know why from uh, an ad agency who for for Visa that wanted to do this commercial where where, where they would you know and he and he's explaining this commercial to me. Uh, you know, he's going on about, about Derek and and then Derek shows his card and the next thing you know they're they're dancing on a conga line. I'm like. Yeah, that, that's got no – neither one of them would want anything to do with that. But I said, because my responsibility was Mr. Steinbrenner, that's why they called the Yankees, I passed it on to the person that does Mr. Steinbrenner's personal public relations, a man named uh, Howard Rubenstein, who was the Babe Ruth of PR people. 
And Howard said the same thing to me. Oh, I don't see him doing it. So they, next thing I know, they're, they did it. Hey, uh, it Rick, can I play it's it? It's like an I've, iconic spot. I've got the audio lined up if you want me to play it, just so people God, Well, you don't have to. You, it's your show, Alex, so you do what you want. But but um, I just thought, wow, I, what I never saw, thought I would see is Derek Cheater and George Steinbrenner in a, on TV in a conga line. Well, let me play the quick audio because it is sure. a great commercial, and it's just the wording of it. The visual is great, but the audio is great, too. Go ahead. Come on in, Derek. I thought we'd discuss this thing and have it all worked out. You're our starting shortstop. How can you possibly afford to spend two nights dancing, two nights eating out, and three nights just carousing with your friends? Oh, he chose the Visa card. If you want to enjoy the New York nightlife, bring your Visa card. Because Orso, Cheetah, and the Broom Street Bar don't take American Express. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. Rick, that was one of the best commercials I've ever seen on TV. There you you go. And, you know, what do I know? I'm sitting there thinking this will never happen. But, you know, just hearing his voice there and thinking about... Him saying similar things to me, like explain this. To, how do you explain? You know. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, I I have a ton of stories, obviously, because Mr. S yeah. took my dad and I under the wing, and and that's how we got to know you as well. But you know, he went, he had us up in Boston for a game, and uh, they lost. Benitez gave up the the, the game winner in, in Fenway, and he jokingly fired me in his suite. I mean, the guy right. had a lot of humor yep. to him. Uh, yep. And a side that no one saw, not even, yeah. the, you know, the media didn't always see it that way. With well, the, the the thing that I'm so indebted to him, you know, he never fired me, right? And, he, you know, and that, you can't say that about many of the 12 that preceded me during Mr. Steinbrenner's tenor. But there were many times, I will tell you, Alex, that he would have had every right to fire me. But he let you go back at him. He, 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 you know, and he, he, he wanted that. He did not want yes men, right? And there were many times that I would say to him, I would say to things like, you know, at, at certain times, I can't let you do that. You know, I mean, but I would always preface it because I, I looked at him very quickly when I was sure. publishing Baseball Magazine back in 1977 and the Yankees won the World Series. I got an interview for the Q&A in Baseball Magazine with Mr. Steinbrenner that we did in November of 1977. And one of the questions I asked him was about his management style. That, you know, do you manage people differently? Do you have to manage Billy Martin differently than you have, than you manage Reggie Jackson, you know? And he, I'll, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Michael, I'm <laughs> really, I don't think he knew my, he said, Rick, he said, there are two types of leaders. Some are Pattons and some are Eisenhowers. And I'm a Patton. He really the, was. The two, the two great World War II generals with very different personalities and very different managerial styles. Now, remember, I want this job. I, I, you know, I'm not the PR director of the Yankees in 1977, but I still aspire to be someday. And as I left his office and left the stadium and got in my car, I remember thinking to myself, that's how I will play this. If I ever get this job, he's General Patton, and I'm a corporal. And, and, that, and that's probably that's how you were able to survive. It, those it was always, sir. I always answered the phone 
when I picked it up and, you know, my assistant would say, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner's on the phone, and I'd pick it up and I would say, yes, sir. And I'd start everything with sir. You know, sir, if I may. Sir, you know, that's a great idea. Sir, I can't let you do that. Um, well, let me ask and, you, Rick, uh, how did you, when he did find himself in the headlines, which was a lot during those years, right. how did you combat that? How did you put him back on track, so to speak? Like, what did you do when you saw he was in the headlines? Well, there's different situations. I mean, sometimes you try to avoid getting him in the headlines. You know, that, you know, Alex, people ask me all the time, Rick, what's the greatest, the biggest crisis you ever averted with the Yankees? And I say to them, well, if I tell you, then I didn't avert it because it's become public. But there was one time, and he was adamant about this, that this was 1996, and, and Ruben Sierra made some remarks about Joe Torrey that were back page headlines. Now, we're on the West Coast, so the day that the headlines come out, we go to the ballpark that afternoon, right? And, uh, you know, they iron this out. Ruben apologizes. It's basically the next day's paper is going to be Ruben apologizing to Joe. Okay. Well, Mr. Steinbrenner calls me that day, and he's going off, and he reads this statement to me that he wants me to give to the media when I get to the ballpark about we will not tolerate this behavior from the, who does he think he is? He's not. And I, and I'm trying to tell him, I said, it's over. We fixed it. It's good. Tomorrow's paper is going to be Rubens. If you do this, you're going to, and this went on for 10 minutes. Right. And finally he said to me, so let me get this straight. What you're saying to me is I should do nothing. I said, that's what I'm saying. And then he said what he said so many times, so many times. Right. But at this time, remember, this is my, First couple of months on the job. Okay. He said to me, okay, you better be right. Yeah, and he would say that to almost everybody in his yep. in his circle. Yeah, there so, you go. Well, one other guy that really loved, uh, Derek really loved and who really loved him, we're talking about uh, patching up relationships now, and it happened during the height of the 90s, Yogi Berra. And he loved oh, yeah. Derek, and I'm sure he got some Yogi Derek stories. But also tell us what that was like, the patching up of Mr. Steinbrenner and Yogi, because that was a pretty famous moment during the Jeter era. Well, it really was, and I remember that we saw Yogi at Shea Stadium in an interleague game, uh, and it was just like, that's how you saw Yogi. It was away from the stadium, and, I mean, I probably met Yogi two times prior to his reconciliation with the Yankees. And, you know, I, you know, the credit goes to Susan Waldman, who, you know, wanted, uh, you know, uh, he, he, she called Mr. Steinbrenner uh, something related to, like, Yogi, like wanting him to go do this interview or something. I don't even think it was about doing an interview. But she said something like, um, I want to talk to you about Yogi. And he said, what's wrong? Well, that, well, so she got from that that he so much wanted to patch things up and apologize that she invited him to go out to, for their broadcast, um, you know, because the museum had just opened out in Montclair, New Jersey. So I knew she did that, and she told me about it, and I said, well, let's, let's see what happened. So he called me in my, in my office, and he, he goes, now, now, Susan Waldman, she wants me to do this and this and this, and I said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, you're just saying that because Yogi's your friend. 
I said, Mr. Steinberg, I've met the man twice in my life. <laughs> I said, you know, thanks for the compliment, but I'm saying that because I think it's the right thing for you to do, right? And he said, all right, well, we'll do it, but you're going with me. So you plan to be however we were going to get out there, you know, make arrangements. He goes, you're going with me. I'm not saying you're coming back, <laughs> but you're going with me. So and we went out there. Very publicized, that meeting in Montclair yeah. State. Well, I will tell you that we picked him up at Newark Airport, uh, his two drivers and me. <laughs> and um, we picked him up at the airport. And I will tell you that the ride from Newark Airport, the 40 minutes or however it was to get to Montclair from uh, Newark Airport, I never saw him so nervous. I, I never saw him. You know, he was really concerned about how this was going to go. He was quiet. Uh, and then we got there. And Yogi, you know, is at the door, and first words out of Yogi's mouth, you're late. <laughs> and then George, well, I, had a, I came all the way from Taylor. And they started talking, and Dale Barra, Yogi's son, said, hey, before we go any further, I want you to go in this room. And they went in the room, and they closed the door. I was not in the room, but uh, obviously Mr. Steinbrenner apologized for the way Yogi's firing was handled. And when they came out, all was right with the world. They went on. FAN with Susan. It's been played many, many times. And Yogi became part of the furniture, you know, part of the family. You know, you, you walk in the clubhouse. I'll, I'll tell you an unbelievable story. Tell me. We, we go to Japan in 2004, right? And Yogi comes with us. Okay. So and they tell you, don't sleep on the plane because you won't sleep. You know, to keep your normal hour. You try going 18 hours and not sleeping on a plane. So we get to the hotel. We get our keys. We get our little rooms. They were very, you know, everything is smaller in Japan. And, um, you know, I, I must have woke up about 6 o'clock. And all of a sudden, so I'm up, there's a knock at the door. Okay. I'm like, who's knocking at the door at 7 o'clock in the morning? Right? And it's Yogi in his pajamas. You know, with slippers on and pajamas, here's your newspaper. Want to have breakfast? I'm like, no. So, you know, Yogi would go to spring training every year. He'd come to at least one or two games per homestand. And he would get there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a night game. I know, he he's was the first one in the clubhouse. And then he, uh, of course, extended the Yankee family to Montclair. He would have all these events at the Yogi Berra Museum. And, you know, there's, there's going back to Jeter for a second, there's this iconic image of Yogi and him on the bench. I mean, right. he was so enmeshed, and you had to love the guy. You had to love Well, Yogi. you know, Yogi was one of the most wonderful, kind, you know, down-to-earth people. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, it's funny, you know, and I want to get this in because it's about Tell Derek. Me. He always called everybody, every man was sir. Even at his press conference, and every woman he met was ma'am, right? Mm -hmm. Yogi it was the opposite. Yogi was every woman was dear, yes, dear, thank you, dear. You know, to the, the waitress, right? Yeah. And uh, we, I, I took Yogi out to dinner uh, every spring. We would have dinner, and maybe Ron Guidry would come or Willie Randolph or whatever. And one time we're sitting at a a steakhouse, and um, you know everybody's oh Yogi, they're all looking at him, but no, and we're sitting at the table. And the woman goes, would you like some water? And, you know, she pours the water, and it's cold because you can see it, the glass is already starting to, you know, show that it's cold. And uh, uh, Yogi looks at the woman and probably says the two words of Spanish he knows. Okay. Oh, he goes, 
Agua Fria. <laughs> and the woman is like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish, sir. <laughs> and no idea it was Yogi Berra. So... And you know he was—he also signed my book of wit. I mean, we—I got to know him as well. What a guy to be around. Now, one yep. one other thing you can't forget with the Jeter era was mm-hmm. is John Sterling. I mean, he his calls really helped. You know, got Jader, Derek's name out there, the Jeterian swing and whatnot. So, would you right. say that Sterling's calls played a role into the phenomenon of Jeter? I just think John is the sound. John and Michael and Susan are the soundtracks of that era. And, you know, yeah, sure, it added something to the Jeterian and, you know, uh, you know, all of them for everybody, you know, burn, baby, burn. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, you know, the John Bino. And I mean, and, you know, it, it's very appropriate that you bring up John, because on Saturday uh, at the Sheridan uh, Times Square uh, at the annual the 97th annual Baseball Writers Awards Dinner, he is getting the Casey Stengel You Could Look It Up Award uh, because of his incredible streak. And, you know, you take out the two games he missed in 1989, it probably would go back it, back into Atlanta, to Atlanta, but it's almost 6,000 6, consecutive games that he did. Um, so, I mean, he, his streak is longer than Gehrig's and Ripken's combined. And... Uh, you know, so you know, John means a lot to that that whole era. But the funny thing too is, some of the big calls for Jeter, Michael, they came in Michael K's innings, right? You know, like the like the the the, the home run in the World Series against the uh, the Diamondbacks, where Michael dubbed him Mister November. Uh, it's it's kind of funny, but uh, you know, Michael was on the. I think Michael. I, I know Michael did a play-by-play of the of the flip play. Well, yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny that <laughs> Jeter did a lot of things in Michael's innings. Well, and of course, uh, Jeter's been talking about that flip play for the first time in what tw- nineteen years now. He's actually yeah. opening up about yeah. it. Um, but no, uh, John and Michael and Susan—they're all long-standing. And I cannot let you go without asking this because, uh, and congratulations to John on the award, because there are moments for Mister Steinbrenner. Where he actually showed a lot of emotion. Remember, he—I don't mm-hmm. know if you were in the clubhouse. I think you were when they won, and he was in tears getting yeah. that World Series trophy. Yeah, uh, those were some big moments in, in Yankee history. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, he he got emotional after uh, you know wins like getting that trophy and everything. Some more than others, but I will tell you something. The next day, it's like it never happened. I'm sure because he was on to the next one. He was on to the next one, and you didn't you didn't get a lot of time to celebrate it because it was over. We we had our party. Let's get let's get to work on 1999. You know? Right, and then 2000, and whatnot. And, and by the way, the one other time he did cry on TV was when the fans, I think it was opening day, oh four or oh five, yeah, yeah, were yeah. cheering him. And I don't think anybody expected that flow of emotion from him uh, back in those days, but there it was. Well, you know, he, he he changed over the years as he aged. And also, remember, he had the illness um, that I think was in 2003 or four, that, and that kind of mellowed him, made him more emotional um, going forward. Uh, but, uh, again, listen, Alan, he was just 
you know, I mean, he was George Steinbrenner, he and was. there were, you know, it was tough. I mean, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, he, he made it was challenging. Uh, you know, you drive to work, and you're, if you're out of pocket for 20 minutes getting a haircut on the way to work, you'd hope he doesn't call. Right. But you know what? I can count on one hand the times he called me at home in 11 years. I mean, I really can. And, you know, I remember one time he called me at like 7.15 in the morning. My wife answered the phone and said, here's Mr. Steinbrenner. But uh, and, and it was there was a legitimate reason for him to be calling me because we're, there's something that was going on that day. And he had, and then when he's hanging up, he said, oh, 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 you know, please tell your wife I'm, I'm sorry to call so early. Oh, that, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and Ray Negron. Ray Negron's doing the whole Bat Boy. I don't know if you're familiar with all yeah. this, but he's doing mm-hmm. his great show. We were just at Fort Hamilton. He's really carrying the legacy. It sounds like you are as well through the Baseball Digest. And uh, I, now that you mentioned 2004, you, you had to be at the dive game, right, where Jeter gets cut up oh and lacerated. What was that like from that? You know, from it's up the, funny. The, uh, go for it. It's funny, Alex, that – uh, I I remember that game obviously, where I think that was the extra inning game that Flaherty won. But uh, my son reminds me because I had forgotten this. My son and and his mother, my my wife and my son Corey, who now works in baseball with the Padres in their AAA affiliate in El Paso, they were away. They they went away for the week or the weekend or whatever, and it just happened to be that he called on my cell phone. You know, at, at about that time. So I literally did play-by-play of that play for my son. My son always reminds me. You're on the phone. It was like I was listening to it on the radio. You're thinking, he dives in, he just fell into the stands. And he, <laughs> did he get anything? You know, it was, it was like, he goes, Dad, you did play-by-play for me. So I wish I had a recording. That would be fun to, to get. Yeah, well, we don't that. have a recording, obviously. <laughs> but that's uh, – no, and that game was – so dramatic. I remember they were pushing people around uh, on the infield. Joe had to make all these maneuvers. It was a crazy, right. crazy yeah. training game. Uh, but that was Derek. And one other thing that nobody really remembers or they, they forget, he was injured in 2003 and had to make a oh, yeah. tremendous recovery from that. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you were there through that, too. So what was that like when he was injured? Was he, was he, uh, how was his mood whenever he was not able to play? You know, that's a great question, but I, I, I really don't remember like where he was at that. I remember it happening and it was, it was terrible. It was opening day in Toronto. Toronto, And I almost was not on the trip. I was almost not on the trip because there was this controversy with the yes network, not being available on cable vision. And I had helped him through something. Um, and he liked, you know, he said, you know, I, I can't, I can't have you off with the team until this is resolved. So you just stay down here with me in Tampa. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, so it was literally the day we were leaving spring training after the game. And I don't know what to do. And my, the traveling secretary said, well, leave a bag we pack a bag for Toronto. We'll put it on the truck. If you don't go, I'll take it off and just have enough, you know, just keep you in Tampa. So I happened to see Mr. Steinrenner right before the first pitch of the game. Right, and he happened. He set it up. He said, you know, so how are we looking? Everything good? We we ready to go? Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm 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 actually very concerned. He goes, why? What's wrong? I said, well, if I told you that Roger Clemens wasn't going to 
you know, to uh, to Toronto with the ball club, would you be concerned? He goes, what do you mean? What's wrong with Clemens? He's our starting pitcher. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong with Roger, but you're not sending me. And I'm your starting PR director. I said, and you've got this whole new venture you started with Hideki Matsui where we're going to have 50, 60 extra members of the media, and you're going to keep me on the bench here in Tampa? Mm. And he said, just keep your phone on, and you, <laughs> you walked away. So, and I never heard another word about the Yes Network controversy again. So, wow. and I think that was just up. one of those spur-of-the-moment things that he did. I'm honored that he would think enough of me to, to think that I'm going to make some difference but there really was there really was no need for me to be there, and I think he understood that. And luckily, I ran into him, and he asked me that question: "How are we looking? We we okay? Everything good?" And uh, well, flipping and Flip still runs the Yes Network, so that's great. He sure does. Yep. We we just saw across the town. If you have a second, uh, as this conversation mm-hmm. keeps going, all these questions popping up. We saw across town the Mets are now being sold, but I think the Steinbrenners will keep this in the family. Do, don't you agree? Well, I, I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but I think that's their plan. And they've had it now for 10 years after Mr. Steinbrenner's passing. And they're obviously very into it and very committed. So, you know, I think it's going to get really interesting in the next couple of years as Steve Cohen takes over the Mets. Um, you know, they're, obviously they're going to spend a lot more money. Um, and I think it's just great for baseball. It's great for the city of New York. As Mr. Steinbrenner would always say, it's great for the city of New York. So we'll see what happens. And I think that, and they love this game. Uh, the Steinbrenners do just as much Absolutely. as their father, and it, it's fun to see that actually. So, will we will we be seeing you up in Cooperstown this summer uh, with Derek? Were you up there for Mo as well? I was not. I was not only because I teach in the summers. It's tough to get away, um, but we'll see what happens. And uh, I did see him yesterday. I did go to the press conference. I got to spend a couple seconds. Got a nice hug and. I gave him my congratulations, and uh, as I did Mo last year, I spent some time last year at Mo's house because we did our our Q and A with Mar, which I did uh, with Mariano Rivera, and I, I hope to have one with Derek as well. And by the way, Rick, please come back because I love this conversation. I love reconnecting. It's been hey, so long. Alex, all you have to do is call. All right, and uh, by the way, this is Rick Sorrell, the PR director, not the catcher. I just want people to know that because it sounds like you've been getting confused on uh, well, your PR. I'm going to I'm going to finish with a great story for you. So my son, you know there's a catcher, Rick Cerrone, who went on to own the Newark Bears and was one of our broadcasters. How about that? The PR guy is Rick Cerrone, and one of your broadcasters is Rick Cerrone. So my son comes home for Christmas. He goes, hey, Dad, by the way, did you know that Rick Cerrone's wife's name is Karen, which is what my wife's name is? So we Google Rick Saron, and these pictures come up of Rick on a red carpet or, or Rick at the, on a, a golf outing, and there he is, Rick Saron with wife Karen. I'm like, this is not possible. Because when I had last talked to Rick, I didn't even know he was still, you know, he, he was once married, but he, he was single like the last. So I called him. Wow. I called him up, and he and he says, what's up? I said, you know, he calls me R-squared. R-squared, what's going on? <laughs> uh-huh. And I said, is your wife's name Karen? He goes, no, that's your wife. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Well, that is a, that's a funny story. So what was the resolution to that? Uh, what ended up happening? I did, well, what could happen? It was it, everything you see on Google or whatever that Rick Cerrone's wife with wife Karen, it's really girlfriend Franca. So uh, somebody got it wrong, but 
I said to my wife, I said, see, you don't know. People know who you are. So There you go. Hey, Rick Because my wife was in baseball before I was, so she, uh, you know, you know, she, she's she got uh, a legacy as well. Well, Rick, thank you for this great conversation. And I'm sorry that other podcasts or interviewers are saying, hey, what happened to the one vote? We don't care. You and I don't care. Jeter's in the hall. That's what matters tonight and, and the rest of the summer. So thank you. You know, Alex, I remember many years ago, there were, and I will not name the person, but there was a writer who had a, a ballot. Now, this writer former writer would not have a, a ballot today because you've got to actively be covering the game, right? But years ago, this writer, because he had a gold card, he got a Hall of Fame ballot every year. And for a couple of years, he'd always take pride in showing me his ballot. Okay? Okay. One year, he shows me the ballot, and he and I look down and look at his ballot, and I'm like, you didn't vote for Nolan Ryan? And he goes, of course I voted for Nolan Ryan. Now, he's about to mail his ballot in. I said, well, you didn't put it. Oh, my goodness. So he fixed it and he sent the ballot in. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that there's 397 people that sent in a ballot and they all think they voted for Derek Jeter. Maybe you're right about that one. So, uh, Rick, thank you for, again, joining me on the Sports Hour portion as you could tell, Mr. Steinbrenner's kindness to my dad and I have really got me to this point, and, and you were part of that, so thank you for, well, for coming it, back. It's wonderful to reconnect with you, Alex. You were a special person, as was your dad, and, um, you know, it's just great to reconnect with you. And we'll have you back on for sure. I'm Alex Whenever Garrett. you need me. I'm Alex Garrett, uh, Sports Hour edition tonight. Thanks for joining us.